Welcome to Nursing Research Basics. I'm Dr. Kathy Thompson. I'm a nurse infopreneur and creator of the website nursingeducationexpert.com. I am also faculty at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and Indiana University in Indianapolis. Welcome. This episode covers theoretical frameworks and conceptual models used for nursing research. You can find the show notes for this episode at nursingeducationexpert.com slash theoretical frameworks. Let's get started. As you're learning about nursing research, one of the most important concepts to remember is that research links theory, education, and practice together. So let's define those terms. Research is the systematic inquiry into the possible relationships among phenomena. Phenomena are the things that we study. Theory is an abstract conceptualization of the relationships that are ascribed to certain phenomena. And we'll get into what theory and conceptual models are in this episode, in this podcast episode. Education is a setting for learning that is guided by theory, research, and practice. So we teach according to theories. We use best practices and research in the way that we teach and how we evaluate. And then we, of course, teach what we need to know in practice. And, of course, the practice setting is where all of our education and our research are going to be applied. Practice is the setting that nursing care is delivered, and it also provides us then the opportunity to identify researchable topics. This is where we will come up with the clinical questions. Just in our day-to-day caring for patients, questions will come up about the way we do things, why we're doing certain procedures a certain way, etc. All of these areas are linked together by research and evidence. So what is a theoretical framework? A theoretical framework provides a structure for the study. It provides the rationale for the predictions of the relationships that we make between the variables that we're interested in studying. Another word for this is it's a frame of reference for how we're going to think about designing a study. It's also a basis for future study. So when a nursing theorist or a theorist comes up with their particular theoretical framework, they're going to postulate propositions, the relationships between the phenomena that they're talking about, and then we can actually use research to support or refute those propositions. So basically, theoretical frameworks guide and direct our studies. So when they're used in the correct way, you will see a theoretical framework being elucidated in the, usually in the background part of a research report. The researcher will tell you what framework they're using in order to guide their own study. But most importantly, you should see threads of that framework. You should see the language. You should see the assumptions that are made within that theoretical framework all reflected within the research design down to the types of data that you're going to collect and how you're going to measure those data. And then when the results, after the results are in, then we will, then the researcher should then discuss the findings of their study within the theoretical framework. 
So basically, the framework helps us make sense of the meaning of the study. So it gives us a meaningful interpretation of the results. What is a theory then? A theory is somebody's worldview. It's the representation of reality whose purpose is to describe, explain, and predict phenomena of interest. Theories are a set of interrelated constructs or concepts, definitions, and propositions, and it specifies the relationships between all of the constructs of the theory. So why is it necessary for a research study? Well, it gives us a roadmap. It gives us directions for how to design and to conduct the study. You'll also hear terms, theories, models, frameworks, schemes, maps, etc. And the question really is whether or not these are interchangeable or not. I would tell you that, that there are specific differences to models versus frameworks versus schemes versus maps versus theories. So technically they're not interchangeable. But of course you can use the same critiquing guidelines that are in the particular critical appraisal tool you are using to evaluate the theoretical framework or the conceptual model or whatever is being used to guide the study, regardless of whether it's a theory or a model. Just know that there are distinguishing features of each of these different terms. Now, theory is kind of hard because it's an abstraction. It's a systematic explanation of what, when, how, and why. And in our case, we're talking about in the context of nursing care. A very important concept to remember is that theory is never proved. We can only test theory. And then the findings we get from, from our research studies strengthen, refute, and refines the theories. So as we test the propositions in a particular theory, we're able to see whether or not they work or not, or not. And the research findings then go back to the theory to refine the theory for practice, okay? Theory consists of concepts and propositions. So let's talk a little bit about those. So a concept is an image or a symbolic representation of an abstract idea. Think about images in your head if I use the word chair. Well, there are obviously different types of chairs that you might be thinking of. You might be thinking of an ottoman. You might be thinking of a straight back chair. You might be thinking of a reclining chair. So chair is a concept in which we have our specific images, but we all understand, I think, what chair means. Other types of concepts, health is an abstract concept. What does health mean? means different things to different people, but we kind of have an idea of what health means to us, right? Cup, rain, intelligence. How about the concept of pain, the concept of weight, grieving, self-concept is a concept, achievement, etc. So these are all images or symbolic representations of an abstract idea. Propositions are linkages that spell out how the concepts are related. 
They are usually generated by the inductive process. And then we evaluate these propositions or the propositions are tested and modified using a deductive process. So let's talk about a couple of important definitions. There are two definitions of terms that we use when we're designing a study. We talk about a conceptual definition, and this is basically a general meaning of the term based on the theory. And you can think of a conceptual definition as the definition of, uh, of what you would see if you opened a dictionary and looked up a word, so that the definition in a dictionary is a, is a conceptual definition. It's a general meaning, okay? When we talk about a conceptual definition in research, we're talking about, again, a term that we're using. It's a very, one of the variables that we're interested in studying. And the researcher is going to define that variable within the terms of the theory that they're using as their framework. I'm going to give you, I'll give you some ex, uh, examples here in a minute. An operational definition then is the specific direction of how a concept is measured. So not only do you have to have just the general meaning of the term identified in the research report, but you also have to tell the reader or the research consumer how you're going to measure that concept. So the part of the definition that talks about how a concept is measured is the operational definition. So let me give you an example. Let's take the concept of post-operative pain. The conceptual definition would be discomfort and in individual experiences after a surgical procedure. You probably all can agree that that is a definition of post-operative pain. But how are we going to measure post-operative pain if that's a variable that we're interested in? When we say post-operative pain as measured by of rating on a pain scale, then that is the operational definition of pain. So the concept, so the whole definition includes both the conceptual and the operational definition. Postoperative pain is discomfort and in individual experiences after a surgical procedure as measured by the patient's rating on a pain scale. That tells us a lot. It tells us how we're going to define pain and it tells us how the researcher is actually rating pain. This is obviously going to be a subjective rating because we're going to ask the patient to rate their pain using a pain scale. Now you can actually get more specific and talk about um, a visual analog pain scale versus a numerical rating pain scale and that would be a better definition of how the researcher is going to measure the pain. A numerical rating scale would be where we would be asking the patient, can you tell me what your pain level is on a scale of 0 to 10, with a 0 being no pain and 10 being the, the most pain that you can imagine. So you always give the patient anchors of what 0 means and what 10 means or whatever numbers that you're using. Let's look at another concept just as um, an example. So state anxiety. State anxiety is defined as a transitional emotional state aroused in a situation that presents a perceived threat to self-integrity. This was actually a definition used by Mullooly et al. in 1988. Um, so that would clearly be 
a conceptual definition. It describes what state anxiety is in this research study, a transitional emotional state. And it is aroused in any situation for which the individual perceives a threat to their self-integrity, as measured by the Spielberger State Trait Anxiety Inventory. So this is a very famous test by Spielberg, Spielberger et al. who developed these quantitative measures of state trait anxiety. So that, again, will tell you how this researcher is measuring state trait anxiety for this particular study. Later on in the study, the, the researcher will tell you about the Spielberger state trait anxiety inventory, how many questions, how the types of questions that are asked, etc. So they'll give you more information about this particular tool later on in the study. So let's take some other definitions and see if you can figure out what the conceptual part of the definition is and what the operational part is. So let's take the concept of dyspnea. Dyspnea is the sensation of difficult breathing as measured by the visual analog dyspnea scale. So what part of that definition is operational and what part is conceptual? Dyspnea is the sensation of difficult breathing that clearly is a conceptual definition. It's defining what we mean by the term dyspnea. And how are we going to measure it, or how is the researcher going to measure it in the research study as measured by the visual analog dyspnea scale? How about social support? Social support is a characteristic of the social situation that buffers the effect of stress on the health of an individual, as measured by the social support questionnaire. Now, again, so the as measured by the social support questionnaire, that's how the researcher is going, is operationally defining social support. So using that particular tool, that questionnaire, that's how they're going to figure out whether or not a patient has good social support or poor social support. The social support questionnaire is the operational definition, how they're going to measure social support, and the conceptual definition is a characteristic of the social situation that buffers the effect of stress on the health of the individual. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about conceptual models. The difference between theories and conceptual models is that conceptual models are more loosely structured than theories, and they're more of a broad representation of a common theme. Usually a conceptual model is, uh, has a visual diagram with it, not that a theory can't, but the conceptual model is more likely to have a diagram that shows the theme of the model and then links concepts through symbols in kind of like an algorithm-looking model. So some two very famous, if you will, um, conceptual models that are used a lot in nursing practice and especially in nurse practitioner practice and any practice that deals with any kind of health promotion or trying to get patients to change their behaviors are Pender's health promotion model and Becker's health belief model. 
and I'll try to find diagrams of those to put in the show notes for this podcast. So research frameworks basically are the conceptual underpinnings of a study. Could be a theoretical or a conceptual framework. And every study has a framework, though each research report may not explicitly state what the theoretical framework was. So the study may, the framework may be implicit or may be explicit. And one of the nice things about some research journals is that there clearly will be a heading that says theoretical framework. And that obviously will be very helpful as you're learning to critique. Other times you might see the framework embedded in the background after the background section talking about, which usually talks about um, the uh, review of literature and then maybe talks also about theoretical frameworks that have been used to study that particular phenomenon in the past. And so those will be very helpful for you to start to identify especially if you go on to get your graduate degree and research becomes a part of your advanced practice role. When you're looking at critiquing frameworks, you do want to look at the best fits. Sometimes you can tell if the researcher chose the theory before they planned the study or after they had already designed the study and then thought either got advice to base the study on a framework or, you know, remembered that they needed a framework after they designed the study, sometimes you can tell that because they try to then fit the pieces, if you will, of what they're designing into a theoretical framework. So sometimes it's not always the best fit. Of course, the ideal situation is that you choose the theory before you design the study, and that way everything fits together very nicely. There are also uh, borrowed frameworks that are used quite frequently in nursing research. Some of the examples of borrowed frameworks that, again, you might see explicitly described within the research report or implicitly uh, implied. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's a framework that many nurse researcher and medical researchers use. Selye's general adaptation theory, this is stress theory. Lazarus and Folkman's Theory of Stress and Coping, Koberg's Moral Reasoning Theory, Bandura's Social Learning Theory, Ajin and Fishbein's Theory of Reasoned Action, Rogers' Diffusion of Innovations Theory. So these are all theories from people who are not nurses, but that nursing and medical and healthcare research use frequently in their own, in their studies. I actually used Everett Rogers' Diffusion of Innovations Theory for my dissertation work. Another, the- another framework that you'll see a lot are physiologic frameworks. For example, germ theory or infectious disease transmission. A lot of our colleagues use physiologic frameworks for their studies. They're looking at transmission of disease. They might be looking at um, different treatments of disease and basing the treatments based on a pathophysiologic framework, immunology, the immune system, etc. So there are a lot of physiologic frameworks that are used. And many times those are not, the researcher will not explicitly say, and I'm using in a physiologic framework of germ theory for the basis of the study. You just kind of know that as you're reading the study. 
What is nursing theory? Nursing theory is a relatively specific and concrete set of concepts and propositions that purports to account for or characterize phenomena of interest to the discipline of nursing. And that was a quote from uh, Jacqueline Fawcett, who is a writer of many nursing theory textbooks. So when we talk about nursing phenomena of interest, what are we talking about? Well, basically there are four nursing phenomena of interest. And you should remember this, especially if you're a graduate student, because you will usually get asked this in your comp exam or at some point in time that you can identify the phenomena of interest of interest to nursing in particular. So the four phenomena are person, environment, health, and nursing. So those are the four major phenomena that constitute a nursing theory. So do keep in mind that a nursing theory is not a nursing theory just because a nurse wrote it, but because it encompasses these four nursing phenomena of interest. You probably know that there are a lot of nursing theories out there, and nursing theory has evolved ever since ever since nursing started. So Florence Nightingale had a nursing theory, right? Starting with flow, we have theories that are postulated um, to use in practice. And each different theorist defines these four nursing phenomena of interest according to whatever their worldview of nursing is. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Again, this is kind of abstract, so you've got to kind of wrap your mind around it. But let me give you some examples. For the phenomenon of person, Sister Callista Roy, her theory is Roy's adaptation model. She defines person as a biopsychosocial being. So when you're using Roy's theory, you look at that each patient, each person has biological attributes, psychological attributes and characteristics and social characteristics. So you're not just looking at the person in the bed and saying that's a person, but you're realizing that there are all these different pieces that make up that person. And therefore you have to pay particular attention to biological attributes and effects and psychosocial effects and social characteristics, that these all make up a person. I hope that makes sense. Martha Rogers, her definition of person is an energy field. So Martha Rogers sees people as energy, making up of, of waves and particles, and that it's its uh, effects on the energy field internally and externally that are going to have effects on the person. Dorothea Oram, Oram's self-care deficit theory, defines the phenomenon of person as an integrated whole. So again, you can go to each of these different theories, um, and these are, are, are all older theories, but all the nursing theorists will define what a person is. So you can look up how each of these different models define the phenomena of nursing. Let's look here at the phenomenon of nursing. Rogers, again, looks at the person as an evolving energy field. 
describes the phenomenon of nursing as a process in which individuals are aided in achieving maximum well-being within their potential. Roy's model defines the phenomenon of nursing as that nursing is to promote patient adaptation during health and illness. So remember, it's Roy's adaptation model looks at stress and, and how people adapt to different circumstances. The definition includes those terms, to promote patient adaptation during health and illness. Orem's self-care deficit theory describes the phenomenon of nursing. So nursing care is to help people meet their own therapeutic self-care demands. Again, with all of these different um, theories that are out there, whenever you read a research report, you should be looking at what theoretical framework or conceptual model was used to guide this particular study. And then you can always, if you need more information, usually they give you a little bit of background information on that particular theory or model that they're using to help you understand how they, they plan the rest of the study, okay? Do realize that there are different ways to critique a framework. When you look at a critiquing tool, there might, there's usually a section on theoretical frameworks in particular. There are guidelines in all of the nursing research texts that are out there to look at the specific questions that you need to ask. So if you're thinking that you can't argue with the researcher, that they wrote the study and here's what they're putting down, of course you can. You can definitely question the choices that the researcher made. So some of the questions that you are going to be looking, that you need to be asking yourself is, is the framework for the study explicit? Is it a logical explanation? Is there a log logical explanation for why the researcher chose that particular framework? They usually do give you some indication of why they made those choices. Is the framework consistent with the research paradigm? So if you're doing a quantitative study versus a qualitative study, you want to make sure to yourself that this framework is consistent with that particular research paradigm. Does the framework actually guide the study? So is the language consistent? Are they using the terms of the framework? Are they using the conceptual definitions? Does the research problem or questions or hypotheses, are these consistent with the framework that's being used? And then once you get to the results and you get to the discussion section, the researcher should then put their findings back within the context of the theoretical framework. So the framework should be used to explain their findings. They should tie back the findings to the framework, okay? Findings should be used to either support or refute the framework and the propositions that are being tested. That's it for this podcast on theoretical frameworks and conceptual models. For the students in my class, you'll be looking at frameworks in a little bit more detail as we start to critique some studies.